Marvelites, you are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 391. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink, sidekick and professional fun gal. How dare you? You are nothing sidekicky. You are co-host right now. You are equal. Aw, thanks. That's nice. Sidekick. Get out of here. I like to, well, I like to kick people in the side. Is that not what they do? I don't know. Triple P, what does a sidekick do? In your words. Shorter than the other person. Do you think that it's is it? According to our producer, a sidekick is simply shorter. And Lorraine, I think you are the same height as me or taller. Uh, we're the same height, pretty much. So in heels, technically, I'm taller. So I'm the sidekick now. <laughs> I've come to ruin this week in Marvel. It's mine. <laughs> I'm not going to ruin it. Nothing to ruin because this week is so huge, so big, so important. Our top news is, of course, that Marvel Studios Avengers Endgame, it's here. Fui, fui, fui. That's my personal exclamation sound. So get excited, but don't spoil the end game, whatever you do. Yeah. By the time you listen to this, I'll have seen it three times. Same here. Yep. So I'm not sorry about that at all. It's going to be great. We're recording this one early because Lorraine and I are both working super hard for that red carpet premiere. You more than me. Lorraine, um, I have a hundred pages, literally a hundred pages printed on my desk that I'm going to go memorize after this. That's a fact. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's real, you I guys. I love it. Dedication. Hardcore. That's working. We're super busy, but we are not skimping. This episode is chock full of venges. 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 Also, congratulations on the Twitter show. Thanks. Lots and lots of people watched it, and I it was, was super fun. Like, wow, that's a lot of numbers. Great. Yeah. Fantastic. So next episode, watch that, too. You yes. guys on the internet, <laughs> you folks with internet browsers. Yeah, I think I guess by the time they hear this, the second episode will have already happened. And then the third episode is coming up. There you go. Watch the third episode of right. the Marvel Live Twitter show. <laughs> uh, so our big talk and in interviews this week will be connected because we have uh, terrific Tamara Krinsky, who did some really amazing interviews for us at the Marvel Studios Avengers Endgame Junket. She talked with Don Cheadle, Kevin Feige, Joe and Anthony Russo, writer Stephen McFeely and Christopher Marcus. Terrific interviews. So Tamara and I chatted a bit about uh, you know doing the junket talking with the stars, doing the red carpets, her love for Marvel, a little bit of science, all that good stuff. We'll get to that in a bit. For now, on to things we're hyped about this week, comma, including news. Also, I'm I'm sorry. I'm going to go back for two seconds because yes. Marcus and McFeely, I'm very excited to hear this interview. And you guys should be excited, too, because they have been working with the Russos since they started first working on Captain America films. So they have been with the Marvel Cinematic Universe for a really, really long time and have built a huge corner of it by being writers on the film. So get excited for that because we don't have a ton of interviews with them around because they don't do as much press. So you guys are going to look forward to that. The end. Yeah. But for now, on to things we're hyped about this week, comma, including news. Uh, first up, we got to talk about the red carpet world premiere live stream mega event for Marvel Studios Avengers Endgame. I was hoping to get that in one breath. Wow, no. Why was this one a special one for you? And, and why were you like super hyped to be there this time? I mean, I've been there. I've been part I mean, of been all this from the beginning. So to me, this felt like I really just wanted to be part of it. Uh, having been at Marvel since 2006, it was like, well, I want to, you know, seeing all the movies come together. And I remember the first stuff we did with Iron Man way back when. Um, I remember we were 
promoting, we were like, we got to tell people about this Iron Man character. <laughs> Way back in 2007. It seems so laughable now. I know. Well, think about this. In 2007, we, Marvel, commissioned uh, three videos. I can't remember the titles of them now. They're beautifully rendered CGI, probably like nine, 60 to 90 second videos uh, that were Iron Man teaming up with Hulk and Spider-Man. Uh, done by, I think, Blur Studios, who's done a ton of amazing digital work. The purpose was to show everyone, kids especially, that Iron Man wasn't a robot. He was a person inside the suit. And this was going to be their first exposure on, a, on any sort of scale, digitally specifically, that this was happening. So you have them fighting, I think it's just like monsters or robots in Manhattan. And this is 2007, before, you know, a year before the movie comes out. And they were great. They're really cool. But, like, we had to educate people on what Iron Man was. Yeah. And at the time, it was like, let's see how this movie does. It's a brand new thing for for us. Yeah. Children Um, will will grow up knowing Iron Man as, like, one of the biggest characters in pop culture. Well, and it's crazy to me that now people that are like 20 years old are like, for the last decade, I've been going to see these films with my family, and this is part of my yeah. my formative years, you yeah. know? It's, so it's, it's wild. Pretty cool. Yeah, the so carpet. being on the carpet was super fun because I didn't have to do it alone. You, having been a, a host for so long, know that it is difficult to do these things by yourself, especially for a couple of hours, talking to people over and over and over again. So having Josh there, one, was great. Two, he is so much energy and excitement, and he was just like, I want to talk to everybody. He had all these handwritten cards of like questions I he know. wanted to ask everyone, and I was like, he really got in there, and he did great. Oh, that's so awesome. I know. It was honestly the craziest carpet I've ever been on. That was delightful mayhem. I mean, really, you know, it's at one point, Robert Downey Jr. hops up there, and that's very exciting. He's And I was already talking to John Favreau, who's like a cornerstone of the Marvel Cinematic Universe because he was the director-writer of the first Iron Man, also plays Happy. And that was great. And then Chris Evans hops up there, and then Gwyneth Paltrow shows up, and, um, and then the Russos started to walk up, and it was bananagrams mm-hmm. like it I just was like okay at one point uh, Scarlett Johansson and Chris Pratt just took my mic and started interviewing each other and that's the thing is you kind of just like it's not about me I'm I'm here to watch them and I want them to have a good time so but it was it was truly one of the craziest things I've ever been a part of just because um it's so live and literally anything can happen yeah yeah, literally anything can happen. Uh, you, everybody listening can watch the replay and all we, we clipped out everything, essentially. It's all on um, YouTube, Marvel's mm-hmm. YouTube channel. You could also go to marvel.com slash endgame premiere to watch everything. Uh, speaking of anything can happen, there was a proposal during one of my segments, yeah. uh, which is in the live stream. Uh, and I found it really special as well because it was this guy named Sean uh, who has a kid named Gavin. And they've been at our premieres for years. They're cosplayers. I can't believe how big Gavin is, too. I didn't recognize him. Because I've been seeing him around since he was a little kid, and he would sit in Sean's arms. And now he's too big for that. Yeah. And they, you know, they would always cosplay. I remember, you know, talking to them at the Dolby premiere like five years ago or or Mm -hmm. like in different places and um, seeing them there. And it was wonderful. 
I love it so much. It's yeah. so nice. Uh, all right. That's it for us right now. We're going to talk more Marvel Studios Avengers Endgame later in the show with Tamara Krinsky. Uh, but we got more things that were hyped about this week. Uh, first up is Marvel's epilogue coming in July. It's a brand new standalone story, which is co-written by Kurt Busiek and Alex Ross with full art by Alex. So it's essentially another issue of Marvel's. Yeah. Uh, and this one is really cool because it takes place in the 70s with a focus on the all-new, all-different team of X-Men, uh, which is, you know, the giant size introduction team uh, and how they how they deal with the prejudice and, and how Phil Sheldon deals with, like, experiencing this new team who is a lot darker in some ways than the original X-Men. That's also really super cool because Marvel's is about to have its 25th anniversary. Mm-hmm. So that's very well-timed. Indeed. I, it's like somebody's paying attention. Yeah. Um, also, hey, Fortnite players, squad up because there is a special Avengers event happening right now in the game. So get excited. Yeah, what's cool about this is that Thanos is back in the game because he there was this event last year around the release of Marvel Studios Infinity War uh, but now you can find Thor's hammer Hawkeye's bow Captain America's shield or Iron Man's repulsors to defeat Thanos and the Chitari. so it's all of them there's this limited time mode called Endgame uh, it's really cool you guys if you are a Fortnite player you're probably already playing this if you don't know what Fortnite is just go to Fortnite game and like just watch the video it's rad also, like, if you're human, I feel like you probably these days are are looking at a Fortnite at some point. Sure. Yeah. Is that um, a thing? Looking yeah. at a Fortnite? Yeah. I want you to wear a t-shirt. At, like, come to E3 with me and just wear a t-shirt that says, looking at a Fortnite? And everyone's going to be like, 14 days of what? <laughs> hey, let's talk about something else that's really, really cool. Yes. Mondo is working to release every MCU soundtrack on vinyl. I want these really badly. So if you guys don't know, Mondo makes these really, really cool album covers. Uh, it's usually pressed vinyl in some sort of color or something very interesting. Also, Mondo just makes really cool prints and cups and pins and all kinds of really cool, cool merch that I think is like very, very unique in the sort of products that are coming out. Uh, so that would be super duper awesome. The first is Marvel Studios' Ant-Man and the Wasp. The double vinyl set will be red and yellow. Yeah, which... I- I'm a vinyl, minor vinyl collector. I mean, I, I bought a lot of vinyl when I was younger, going to punk rock shows and stuff like that. I still have, um, we have a record player in my living room. We're actually redoing it to put all of our vinyl, both mine and my wife's, on display. Nice. Um, and so now I'm like, all right, I'm going to have to buy all of these. Yeah, as you should. Yeah. I, I particularly loved the Runaways one. That one was real cool. Um, the new gorgeous sleeve art for this album, though, is going to be by Phantom City Creative, and it'll include 14 previously unreleased tracks. So that's going to be super awesome, and it's on sale now at mondotees.com. Yeah. Uh, there's another cool thing. It's another product, but it's something I was like, this sounds really neat. It's uh, Monopoly Marvel Avengers, a new edition of uh, Monopoly, available at Walmart. So this one is is sort of changes the way you think about the game, I guess, in some ways. In this edition, you travel around the board, but you draft as many Marvel Avengers as you can. They're in place of the property. So the more heroes a player drafts, the more money they can collect and the more powerful they will be. So I can put heroes on, like, Baltic Ave. No, you're not not Baltic Ave. There's no more Baltic Ave. Dang it. Baltic, Baltic is one of, like, the less expensives, right? 
I, it's the only one I could get. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, but instead of those, instead of Baltic Ave, you can get like Nick Fury or Maria Hill, Iron Spider, 25 other Marvel heroes uh, from across the Marvel Universe. And then the tokens, instead of the little puppy dog or the top hat. The or thimble. The thimble. Uh, you can choose from 12 different ones, including Iron Man, Cap, Thor, Hulk, Black Widow, Hawkeye, War Machine, Ant-Man, Nebula, Rocket, Captain Marvel, and the Infinity Gauntlet. Can I still be a shoe? I loved being you could the put shoe. It, you could put the Infinity Gauntlet on your foot. <gasps> so then technically, I the Infinity look, Gauntlet could be a shoe. Would I look like I had a peg leg? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, and then finally, there's Infinity Gauntlet and Stark Industries cards replacing Community Chest and Chance. Uh, so it could that could really change the game as well for you. So I thought I just thought it was really neat. I got the press release from Hasbro, and I was like, "Oh, this is cool. I bet we we should play this." Yeah, we should we should do that totally. But you know what else is going on? Tell me, Lorraine. Marvel Insiders, experience Marvel Studios Avengers Endgame in real 3D. You can redeem your points for 25% off of real D3D tickets on Adam Tickets. You go to visit marvel.com slash insider slash rewards for more details. There's terms that apply. I, I put this in there because, you know, we've been having a lot of conversations internally about Marvel Insider, and it's a really cool program if you are able to participate in it. Obviously, I think there are, like, restrictions on aid, you know, like you have to be over 18, I think, right. and you have to, maybe it's uh, geo-restricted, whatever it is, but it's still, like, the things that you can get for watching our videos or listening to our podcasts and that kind of stuff, and now you're getting 25% off a real D 3D ticket to see the biggest movie of all time, that's a really great tangible reward. Absolutely. You know, I think it's funny because not a lot of people, I think, know about Insider enough. And if you go to marvel.com slash Insider, you can sign up. And it's so easy and you're already like listening to this podcast and you're watching our videos and reading comics and doing all the kinds of things that you could be getting points for just doing the stuff you normally do. And then you can redeem all of those for rewards, which like, why wouldn't you? Yeah. So Th great. This was not a paid advertisement. This no. is literally just <laughs> us being like, yo, do this. Get free stuff. Yeah, you might as well. It's just sitting there ready to be taken. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. So that's uh, all the stuff we're hyped about right now. But we got to go to our This Week in Marvel History section. We are looking at April the 26th through May the 2nd across 80 years of history. I always like to start with the oldest one that I pulled, which was April 29th, 1954. Two Atlas-era debuts, first being Navy Action number one. I have. I don't remember anything. I, I've researched this like two months ago. It's a great name, Such honestly. a great name. I love a Navy man. I love Fleet Seaman. Week! And also, same week, uh, Ringo Kid number one came out, which is the first appearance of the Western hero, Ringo Kid. Did that get you, Lorraine? <laughs> yeah, I'm you? sorry. No? I'm sorry. It's great. I'm a grown-up. Yeah, Ringo Kid. I love the old Western comics. Like, uh, what's his what's his bucket? Uh, good old... I'm thinking of Combat Kelly, because that's what the Navy action reminds me of. But also... Two-Gun Kid. Two Gun Kid. Yeah, Trips just gave me two pew pew. Pew pew. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's so many. Yeah, there's a lot of great Western characters. I love it. Uh, let's also take a look back at uh, this guy who made a real smash in 1962 Incredible Hulk, number two by Stan Lee. And Jack Kirby gives us the first look at the Green Hulk. If you guys know anything about the way printing worked in those days, they did not intend Hulk to be the, his original color. Uh, it took some, some zhuzhing, which is why they landed on green, because it was an easier color to print. Yeah. 
All that is true facts. All right. How about May 2nd of 1967, a fine year, but it also brings us the first issue of Not Brand Eck. <laughs> it, it's it's one of those titles. It's so ridiculous. I just love it. I wish I could ask someone from back then, why? Why we do? Why we do? Well, because it was a play on the X-Men. They did the X-Men. <laughs> and that's where Forbush Man comes from. And Irving Forbush actually debuted in 1955 issue of Snafu. Yeah, we had a book called Snafu, which I need to get my hands on. I've yeah. only looked at the covers and like done a little bit of research of what I could find. I finished my collection of what thes and what ifs as I've been like trying to build those up and put them in my spinner rack. Now I'm on to Not Brand Ech. I have the first 10 issues. If you don't know what those those books are, it is a straight up parody series. Straight up. Just making fun of ourselves, making fun of our uh, competition. It influenced the Marvel What The, the comics, the animated stuff that we've done. Uh, and there's a comedy issue of each series of What If that is influenced by Not Brand Ech as well. There you go. All right. That takes us to May 1st of 1984, which introduced the West Coast or the Best Coast – East Coast is the best coast. Sorry, spoilers. Yeah, that's right. You're from the West Coast. I know. I've turned tail and yeah. fled. Um, Suck it, California. <laughs> but uh, the West Coast Avengers, number one, gave us a second Avengers squad led by Hawkeye with his wife, Mockingbird, and just getting into some real hijinks. Also, I loved, loved, loved when Hercules got in there mm. into that West, West Coast Avengers action. I love Hercules. Hercules, I do too. We're on an email chain about trying to find costumes for something. And it's like maybe not the best costumes. And so I was like, my immediate first thought was I need to find a picture of the Avengers in the 90s when they wore their bomber jackets because <laughs> they were wearing like matching bomber jackets like, hey, kids, look at us. And we're relatable. Yeah. And then Hercules, <laughs> he wore like the skimpiest green suit. He basically looked like a wrestler. He had like green metal plates like oh, like yeah, straps yeah. leather and metal like later hosen yeah of. yeah yeah like later hosen covering like his nips and like over his shoulders and like little pieces he's still out of his little tighties but he shaved and he looks so absurd shaven i do not care for it but i do love him dating black widow Ooh. west coast style yeah the best. <laughs> uh so on this list we have a ton of movie stuff that has come out in this time period you can check out the Marvel.com article, This Week in Marvel History, to see all the movies that kind of fit into this. Some really big surprises. But I got to dive right into May 2nd, 2008, when Iron Man hit theaters. And I very specifically remember being in the Marvel staff screening in New York. I was sitting next to Alejandro Arbona. And as the movie go hits the credits, we looked at each other. Everyone in the room was like, oh, my God. That was incredible. I mean, we had we had plenty of access, but we just didn't know if it was all going to come together. This was a giant gamble. You have to remember where we were and what it was like. And we all trusted in what Kevin and that team was doing. But, man, Iron Man was so good. Also, our first screening, because it was several days before the movie came out, did not have the Nick Fury uh, stinger. So after that, we've always been sort of nervous. Or I've always been nervous. Are we going to get it? But we've gotten them since. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Oh, man, that was even before my time yeah. back in the in the early day. Mm -hmm. uh, last thing for us to talk about on this section is April 27th, 2018. One year ago, Marvel Studios Avengers Infinity War released to theaters. Oh, snap. So good. Uh, that was just 
such an experience. How did you feel the first time you saw the film? Emotional because Thanos has been one of my favorite characters and then he since betrayed I was you? 10 years old. No, I mean, I... You expected it. Like, I, I, I knew so much of what was going to come, but to see the stories that I love so much put to screen and told so well and such emotional stakes, I was just, like, floored, but at the same time, like, so happy. Yeah, we did the red carpet premiere, and I didn't get to see it. Most of the films I get to see in advance, but that one, it was under lock and key, so I saw it at the premiere. And afterwards, you know, it's a huge adrenaline rush being on the carpet itself, but then watching the film, I felt so, like, my whole nervous system was like, we can't take anymore because it was (laughs) such a roller coaster of a day and I just did not see that. I knew that there would be some losses, but I had no idea the losses we would face. I still feel messed up about (laughs) Spider-Man. I feel not right. Oh, so good. Uh, Love it. Love it. That means they're doing their job. You know, they made you feel something. That's right. Uh, All right. Top books from this week's episode of Marvel's The Pull List are Avengers number 18, Black Widow number four, Marvel Comics Presents number four, and Star Wars Vader Dark Visions number three. Um, I don't want to correct you, but I am going to correct your pres- Do it. Uh, your pronunciation, which it's Marvel Comics Presents number four, because oh. it's a gift to us all. It really is. You're so right. Thank, Thank you, Lorraine. That's why you're here. <laughs> Uh, all right, we got to keep the show moving. Uh, our big talk this week is a chat I'm having with Tamara Krinsky. And uh, Tamara's great. She's awesome. She's done a ton of red carpets with you, Lorraine. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she got to interview a whole bunch of the cast and crew for Marvel Studios Avengers Endgame. So we are going to go from that chat with her about all this stuff right into those interviews. Let's do that right now. Hey, Tamara, how you doing? I'm great, Ryan. How are you? I'm very excited. So by the time all of the This Week at Marvel fans hear this, it'll be release day. This is huge. This is, we did it. We got here. This is amazing. 22 films. I cannot believe it. Good golly. What I wanted to do is really just get a sense of um, the interviews that you got and talk to you a little bit about doing these red carpets because you got some great interviews. I got to listen to them. Uh, and it's like... The warmth is there. Oh, thank you. The comfort. Well, I will say it's been amazing to sit down with these people over the years in various situations, whether it's one-on-one interviews at Junkets or on the red carpet. And having that time to talk to them one-on-one for the Avengers Endgame Junket was really wonderful because they're all at a stage right now where they're excited, they're happy, but there's like this tiny little bit of nostalgia also flowing through. So it was a really unique situation. Yeah. What is it like, you know, because I I think a lot of our listeners don't know what it's like to do a junket. They see these interviews, they'll see like videos or hear stuff, but they have no sense of like, what is that like to walk us through that experience? Okay. So junkets are crazy. I mean, you never know who you're going to talk to. In this case, I got to talk to Kevin Feige, Don Cheadle, the Russo brothers, Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. And they are all set up in hotel rooms 
you get there and there's two different kinds of interviews that are generally happening. There are what they call broadcast interviews, which are on-camera interviews, and then there are audio interviews. So they have each of the actors or the filmmakers set up in a different hotel room and they've got it totally decked out. You know, they've got lights, they've got the sound equipment, they've usually got posters from the film, they've got chairs set up. So you walk in, the actors are usually mid-conversation, and you walk in and they say, all right, now we've got tomorrow from Marvel.com here. And they stop and you sit in your chair and they say, go. And you've got anywhere from three to five minutes. Or in the case of the audio interviews, we had 10 minutes and that's it. And they are on this super strict schedule and you just go, go, go. And then someone in the background gives you a little wave to let you know you've got one more minute and you got to wrap it up. And if you don't, they will stop you. Wow. It can be nerve wracking, but you're such a pro at this. I'm sure it was just like a fun time. It was great to be able to have that time with them, honestly. I mean, there's always a little bit of pressure of like, well, you want to make sure you get in this question. And, you know, you always want to take a moment to build rapport, but you don't really have that moment because you've got three minutes. So you just jump on in. And again, luckily, because I have had the wonderful fortune to interview these folks over the years, there is a little bit of rapport already developed. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, what's the difference for you in doing these junket interviews versus being on the red carpet and talking to them for like the full premiere? Junket interviews and red carpet interviews are incredibly different. So at the red carpet, it's much more focused on the event that we're at in the here and now, especially when we're doing the live streams. And, you know, you know that from being there. There's this amazing energy. You're live to the fans. You really want to give them a feeling of what is happening right there and then. And it's great to be able to talk to the actors about that. You're living in the moment. When it comes to the interviews I did for this week in Marvel at the Junket, I had a full 10 minutes. So you're really able to go deeper and get into some things that you don't have time on that carpet <laughs> to get into. <laughs> and also, yeah. you know, the other thing, too, is when you're on the carpet, at least from my perspective, you never want to put the actors on the spot. Like, I am not there to TMZ them. I want them to feel like that Marvel podium is their home base, a place to celebrate and be happy. But at a junket interview, they've got a little bit more time to think about their answers. So we can go deeper. We can get more into process and behind the scenes. And that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, Lorraine mentioned, you know, something great about the interviews that you did is you got Marcus and McFeely who don't do a ton of interviews, which is really great. So I tried very to, excited. I tried to get them as I was leaving. I said, I'm going to see you guys in two weeks. Right. And they were like, yes, yes, yes. So I'm hoping they'll come on the carpet because I could talk to writers forever. Yeah. All right. So what has been your favorite Marvel red carpet interview you've done because you've done so many of them at this point. Is there a way to even choose a favorite? No, and I would not. You can't. I mean, that's like choosing amongst children. It's like when I ask Kevin Feige, who's your favorite character? <laughs> not that I would ever compare myself to Kevin Feige. I take that back. But I don't have one particular favorite moment, but I definitely have moments that I flash back to. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind was the Thor Ragnarok carpet. I was interviewing Taika Waititi. Mark Ruffalo just kind of jumped on stage and started taking selfies. And as the three of us were doing that, Chris Hemsworth popped up in the back and he just jumped on as well. So suddenly there were the four of us and there was so much love and joy on that carpet. It was a blast. Another moment that comes to mind that I love is the first time I interviewed Tom Holland. It was at the Captain America Civil War premiere because that's where he first appeared. And he was so excited and talking to him about, you know, doing bat flips in his backyard to prepare and things like that was great. Just bringing him into that Marvel Cinematic Universe. Every single time I have talked to Robert Downey Jr., it's a thrill. 
He's funny. He's smart. He's so in the moment. It's, it's always great to talk to him. And then, of course, I've just gotten to talk to so many living legends. I mean, when you think about the talent that's in Marvel movies, to have the opportunity to talk to Glenn Close, Michael Douglas, Angela Bassett, Lawrence Fishburne, Kate Blanchett. I mean, right there. It's like a greatest hits. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Uh, all right. We're going to are about to get to these interviews, uh, but we also talked up your your science background, your science knowledge. Tell the Marvel fans a little bit about your science chops. Sure thing. So I am not a trained scientist. I just always want to be clear about that. But I have been a science enthusiast since I was a little kid. I you know grew up in my kitchen, blowing things up with the chemistry set. I used to make my parents wake me up at two in the morning to go outside and look at eclipses. So it's just something I've always been into. And I think where that dovetails with the Marvel Cinematic Universe is they've always been so great about building stories around science. I mean, even to the depth of using actual science advisors on movies like Ant-Man to talk about the quantum realm and advise on how to weave those real science details into a premise and then take off on a great narrative spin from there. Um, so currently, I am actually uh, doing a show for the Science Channel that I host, and um, I've been traveling all over the world with it this time. I've been to Panama, I've been to Indonesia, I've been to Guatemala, I've been to Alabama. Um, so <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah. So that's been, what's the show called? Um, it's called Tomorrow's World Today, and season two will premiere on Saturday mornings this May. And I have to actually just say, I had the funniest moment in Indonesia. Um, so we were doing a story on sustainable paper production, and my crew was off in a helicopter flying, you know, taking pictures of forests and footage and all that. I sadly did not get to go, but as I was waiting for them with our hosts in the office in the middle of this remote province in Sumatra, we all just started talking about what we were up to. And our host, Lechumi, turns out she's a huge Marvel fan. So... <laughs> Here I am sitting halfway around the world and we're both talking about our love for Captain Marvel. So that was just amazing to see like my science world and my Marvel world all come together halfway around the world. Incredible. I love that that Marvel can connect people across, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of miles. Yeah, it was pretty so, amazing. So now we WhatsApp back and forth about what's happening. I mean, I don't give away any secrets. I don't know any secrets. <laughs> Nobody tells me anything. You know everything. No, I the, the best part about this movie makes me so happy. I, I mean, I know a lot. Yes, but I don't know everything. I love being surprised. I love not being spoiled like so much better. I mean, I need to know things, but when I don't need to. Yeah, it's best. And Don Cheadle actually talks about that in his interview. Which is a perfect segue. Let's go now to your amazing interviews. Don Cheadle, I am so happy to talk to you. Um, Thank you. Rhodey's been through some stuff. Yes, he has. So yes, talk to has. me a little bit about the character arc and the moments that have excited you most along the way. Like, was there ever a point when you got a page and you were like, yeah, I get to do that now? Well, a lot of that that now is in this last film as he is, you know, continued over the course of these films to expand and to the things that he's endured and uh, come out the other side of. So it's it's been a long journey, obviously, for Rhodey, uh, not just sort of having to straddle his responsibility to the military versus his responsibility to his new friends and this new group of, of heroes that he's fighting with, but also, obviously, the physical challenges that he's had to overcome and, 
and sort of the, the feelings of regret and remorse and the questions he's had about, am I doing the right thing? Should I be doing this? Should I be here? Did I make a mistake? And in this last film, yeah, it's, there's a real culmination in, in many ways of his ideas and his identity. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Ah, you're such a tease. I want to know more. I, I do too. I love just, I can't wait to see the film and see if any of that stuff I mentioned is still in it. Well, so that brings up an interesting question. So a couple of the interviews have talked about the fact that to maintain the secrecy around the film, they give you guys fake pages. Has that happened to you? I think we've had fake pages, but when you show up on the set, obviously you have to know what it is you're doing. <laughs> um, uh, so we get the real pages then, but literally it's just pages. I mean, I've never got a full script. And even when they've delivered the partial parts of the script to the house, you know, there's a guy that stands outside and you, have to, you know, <laughs> shred the old one in front of him or hand him the one. He has to take it away. It's a real thing. But ultimately, with a film like this, where there is so much intrigue and people are really trying to, for some reason, ruin the movie sometimes and find out these things that you want to protect it for the audience's experience. And I, you know, I don't want to go to the movie and know everything that's going to happen. So it's really, you know, in some ways, I think it's better for everyone that they're so secretive and that they fight so hard to keep it, even from the actors. It does bring up an interesting challenge for the actor, though. You, um, I read an interview that you had done where you said, you have to know what movie you're in. And within that, find the places to add in your own creativity. Mm -hmm. So when they don't give you the whole movie that you're in, you know, how does that work for you as an actor? And in the MCU, what have been those creative flourishes you've brought to Rhodey that have excited you over the years? Well, uh, to start with the second question first, I think he's just loosened up. He's become more irreverent. As he's become more comfortable with these people and feels like he belongs as, you know, um, the and, moment and the when team is one of the Avengers. The moment but, when you guys arrive in Wakanda and you make to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the bow. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so 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 moments like that where we're getting to see Rhodey sort of, like I said, r relax into his role mm -hmm. and feel like this is a team that he really belongs in. You know, post Civil War when there was that clear fissure between them, and now he's like, no, this is the this is the crew, this is the team. These, this is my place and this is where I belong. So finding those moments are always about understanding the entirety of what it is that you're doing, which is on the Russos to kind of be the repository of all that stuff, which is a lot for them, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> and we always have, you know, big conferences before we shoot any scene, you know, on set. Where we're mm -hmm. always talking about where did we come from? Where are we headed? How does this fit in? How does this fit into the entirety of the all the mythology, the whole arc of the whole thing. So, yeah, it's a lot for them to have to hang on to, but then they hand it off and we, we do what we do. The Russos are amazing. And you, in addition to acting, you also direct. You've directed yourself both mm -hmm. on film and in TV. What have you learned the most from them that you've then transferred into your own directing? Well, I think it's something that they are able to do, which I'm not able to do, is be they. There's two of them. <laughs> So, you know, Not unless you've got a superpower you haven't told yeah, us about I just yet. Yeah, I put myself in too. No, and it's great to see them work and where they hand off, you know, where they trade off responsibility and where they debate over things and to see who wins what argument. And it's just an interesting dynamic that they have where they're able to not get in each other's way, but at the same time get the best from the other and, and challenge. Each of them challenges each other 
to find these moments. And we, you know, do a lot of these scenes, we'll shoot multiple versions of the scene as we're trying to figure out which, what is the right one, which is a great luxury to be able to have on a film. You know, on my movie, there was, we, <laughs> like we do three takes, we're out of here. You know, we don't have time to, to go back uh, to the well and, and try to figure it out again. In this history that you've had with the MCU, is there a scene that you shot that then when you finally did see the final movie, you were like, oh wow, that really changed? Everyone. <laughs> I mean, because there's always special effects elements that are not there on the day. There are often uh, things that they're doing in post with sound, with music, that that's always the, the case, but that really brings so much more to the scene. But in these movies in particular, there are there are things that you understand are happening around you because they've been explained to you, but you can't understand it until you see it. They can show you the previs and all of that stuff, but until you actually see the finished product, it doesn't have the same impact. Even so, being on set has got to be pretty powerful. I am curious about what that final day on set of Endgame felt like. I had a, two or three final days because you know, <laughs> that doesn't make we them thought final. that was it. it we, you don't, you know, we don't know. We leave. Everyone's like, "Oh man, I hope to see you again." This, you know, it's been great. This has been a long time. And then in two weeks, you get a call. It's like, "Oh, you're you're going to see them again because there's reshoots." So you know, on this movie, I think I came back. I, I was working a couple months ago on this movie. Oh wow! Okay, <laughs> so that recently. Yeah. So it's 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 a really interesting journey. It's great to come back and see everybody on stage again. I think you can see that we all have infinity for one another and everybody really gets along. These are all very good questions, but it does bring up an interesting question about um, the MCU over the past 10 years, which is this issue of dynamic duos. You know, Marvel is so good with putting together different groupings and different pairings that constantly surprise us. Obviously, we've seen amazing stuff with you and Robert Downey Jr. paired up over the years. What are some of the pairs that you've been most excited about seeing over the last 10? Well, I, I didn't know that Thor and Hulk were going to be, <laughs> until, you know, until Rangarok, that that was going to be a cool sort of pairing. Oh yeah, I've got, I'm wearing a Thor uh, <laughs> you got it shirt right, right now. now. Yeah, and that was one of my, I think that was one of my favorite films in the whole MCU. And again, it was because of Taika, the way that they really, really bring that comic element into it is a great counterbalance to all of the, the fighting and the seriousness and the, you know, the deeper themes that they're dealing with in that. To have that sort of interplay between the lighter and the darker is something that I think was just really cool to watch. It was super cool to watch. And when you are on set and you are going back and forth between those lighter and those darker moments, for you, how do you handle that as an actor? Like, do you take a moment to go off so you can kind of... At this point, you know what I mean? 35 years, dude. Is it, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just what the job is. You yeah. know, we all know that that's what it requires to be malleable in that way and to... At some point, there's going to be a down note, and then at some point, it's going to be open, and you're going to be able to play. That was really the the kind of fun about this, and it's always great working with the Russos because they're really they really are collaborators, and they really know that they have a lot of talent there to deal with. So they ask us to bring things often as well. That it's not just about being a living prop and executing somebody's vision. You are required and you know encouraged to bring your brain to the set and be a part of how these things play out. So that's that's also nice because you can especially a movie like this you could kind of just become a prop. It would be easy to get lost in everything else. But they understand that people 
come to see these movies because they're connected to the characters and they're connected to the relationships that these characters have, not just all the bells and whistles. And that if you strike the proper balance between those things, then you have an opportunity to make a really good film. Well, the fans are so excited to see this movie, so thank you for taking a few minutes to talk to us about your experience making it. Thank you. So I am so happy to be here with Joe and Anthony Russo. I saw you both on Friday when you showed us some of the clips from the film, so thank you for that. But you were running back to the office <laughs> to finish the color timing. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We, were... we did finish it, and they yanked it out of our hands at midnight. So. <laughs> yeah. Do they set a little clock for you? Is there a countdown? There, there, there is a countdown, yeah. I mean, it, you know, when you get to the ending phase, they basically they know that we want to keep working on the movie as long as possible. And so they basically time up when we have to finish based upon like all their delivery requirements to get the movie to audiences. Mm -hmm. So we're at the last minute. So they have to like, you know, they're, they're like, no, it's going, it's going, it's going. That's it. I'm like picturing a clock in the office with like a big snap oh, on yeah. it. And then, uh, <laughs> You're right. And yeah. then we disappear. You should do that. No, please yeah. don't disappear. Don't, don't, don't disappear. We're disappearing to a, uh, a chair by a pool somewhere. That's where we're disappearing to. So. Well, that brings up an interesting question yeah. for me. You know, there is so much pressure with these films. Where are you right now sort of on that arc of feeling super pressured to excitement? I mean, we're excited. It's like Christmas Eve every day until the movie gets released. It's hard when you make movies as secretive because you can't talk about it. And then when people ask you questions, you have to expend a lot of energy thinking about how you're not going to talk about it. And we're, we'll be happy to talk about it with people because, you know, we're fans as well and we we're fans prior to making these movies, and we understand that experience and the level of excitement, and you know we want to share it with them. I wanted to ask you, going back to the fans, um, you are huge action fans, and what was your entree into Marvel to begin with? You know, before you ever started making movies with them. I know you're both huge comic book fans, so. Yeah. Iron Man. Yeah. Yeah, that was it. That 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 movie. You know, both of us remember watching Iron Man and just being so impressed by the character sophistication that was brought to that movie. The level of visual effects work was stunning in that film. Tone, and yeah. tone, and just the unexpected approach, signified by like the reveal of I Am Iron Man at the end of the movie. Just there was a subversiveness to how a superhero movie was being approached there. And that hit all our buttons. You know, Both Joe and I were just like, <laughs> oh my God. I wish we were a part of this, ne never ever imagining that we would be. But here you are, yeah. and when it comes to stories, there's so much source material to pull from, from the comics, from the pre-existing movies, from fans throwing things out there, and also you have these amazing actors. It's not like you've got three really good ones and five who are kind of mess, so you're like, well, we'll just focus on those. How do you focus in on that story when there's so much coming at you? It's a lot of discipline, you know, mm -hmm. and I think our process is very disciplined. The way that we work with the writers, Christopher Marcus and Steve McFeely, who have been our key collaborators on all four Marvel movies, is, you know, a lot of time spent in a room with each other, talking through what it is that we want to say. We outline our thematics first. We know what the overall philosophical point of what we're, what we're about to do is, and then we get into the plot. And, uh, and um, you know, we have a really specific process that we follow. So. That's how we kind of tune all the noise out. And ultimately, Anthony and I have learned that, like, you can't, uh, you can't listen to the fans because, you know, they all want something different. Yes. And, you know, so you won't be able to please everybody. And so the only thing you can do is please yourself and tell a story that you're happy with. And you hope other people are happy with it as well. 
It's been effective for us, so we just keep doing that. I think it's been pretty effective. <laughs> I'd love to get a glimpse into a day on set. You know, so you finally get out of that writer's room, you're on set. I was talking with Don Cheadle before, and he was saying that often before you start shooting, you'll sort of huddle up and go through, you know, this is where you are, this is where you've been. A lot of them don't have the full script. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about that process. Yeah, I mean, shoot day is very highly organized, you know, and again, because these movies are so complex to execute, meaning like sometimes there are stunts involved, sometimes there's extensive visual effects work, all that stuff. And in order to shoot that stuff properly, you have to do a lot of prep work. So by the time we get to the set, mm -hmm. the crew and Joe and I know exactly what we're doing. The cast sometimes can need a little catching up, a little focusing, <laughs> because again, these movies, well, because we're doing these big ensemble movies where they're weaving in and out of the mm -hmm. story at different points, sometimes it's hard for them to track where sure. they are in the narrative. So yeah, like Don said, we will take time in the morning where we'll just huddle up with the actors. Mm -hmm. What we like to do is we read the scene, we usually, we'll, together with the actors, and we'll read every line in the screen, even the action lines, not just the dialogue. The actors will say their dialogue and we'll read the action lines. And then that'll be the jumping off point for the day's work. And then we'll start walking them through how we were thinking about staging the scene. But again, with actors, especially actors of this caliber, you want as much of their involvement as possible. You want them to be bringing all of their creative ideas to the experience. So we leave a lot of room in our shoot day for actors to do this. Well, what if I did this? What about that? What about that? And then we'll try it different ways and we'll finally settle on a shape of the scene that is most exciting for us. Um, and then we'll just begin the process of execution. That's amazing to be able to leave room for that much creative collaboration on something that is this complex. And all of the actors talk about this idea that it does feel like a family, except for Mark Ruffalo, who's like, well, it doesn't feel like a family because we all get along. Right, that's really funny. Where, how do you um, keep that uh, energy moving forward on set and, and create that family feeling with everyone so that there isn't that competition? Well, I think it just goes back to Joe and I. I mean, like, we, our process is we work as a team. You know, yeah. so our essential nature is like, how do we make the team experience sort of optimal for one another and for ourselves? So like, we're very cued into that. Uh, we come from a big, big Italian-American family. We like to create that kind of atmosphere on set where everybody feels welcome. Everybody feels free to contribute and is valued. And um, that's just the kind of environment that we're fed by on a creative level. So we just work very hard to contribute. And luckily, that kind of an approach dovetails very nicely with Marvel. They have an, an awesome point of view as well in terms of they're very respectful to people and supportive. One of the things we talk a lot about with the actors that I don't know if I've ever asked the two of you is this idea of that Marvel moment. Because Marvel sets are unlike any other. So what is that sort of distinct Marvel moment you've had when you're like, oh, wow this is what I'm making. I mean, for a lot of the actors, it's when they first see themselves in costume. Yeah, yeah that's a great I mean, question. I, th I don't know, maybe probably just the first time we were shooting Winter Soldier when we were doing the elevator sequence was the first thing up. And, you know, it's the level of crew that you're working with and the, uh, you know, the level of talent on the acting side and felt, uh, it felt really unique. Yeah, and I guess my, you know, another Marvel moment that we had was literally just us getting the call that Marvel wanted to meet with us. What it was really a Marvel like? moment because, again, at that time we were just working on some television shows. We had an, an indie film background. And for, for, for Marvel to like have the, you know, especially Kevin Feige, to have the vision to be able to look at people who are working outside of the specific area 
uh, or genre that you're working in and realize that those people are vital and important to you because they're gonna bring a point of view and a process and a style that exists outside that genre and that can perhaps dimension, help dimensionalize and feed the genre you're working in is like really visionary. And so it's like simply the fact of that phone call, like that said to us, oh, this is a very different place. Because there's no other place in town that would have done that. You keep saying vision and my heart is cracking a little bit because of vision. Last, <laughs> last question. Um, if your eight-year-old self got a hold of the time stone and could track that, if your eight-year-old self got a hold of the time stone and could fast forward to see what you're both doing now, what do you think that eight-year-old would say? Uh, I think that eight-year-old would be excited as hell. I mean, I think that, like, that, that eight-year-old watching movies and having profound experiences in movie theaters on you know, really populist films is the reason we're here and the reason we're making these movies. So, Yeah, that eight-year-old would just fall over laughing with joy. I know a lot of eight-year-olds who are about to do that, as well as people of all ages. So thank you so much for thank taking you. the time to talk to us. Appreciate it. Right. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Sure thing. Great question. Thank you. Okay, Kevin Feige, thank you so much for talking with us. This has been an incredible year for you so far. Uh, Selznick Award at the PGA. Oscar awards for Black Panther, and Captain Marvel just passed the billion-dollar mark at the box office. How are you feeling? It's pretty nice. It's very nice. I, I, uh, I have a tendency to always look ahead and always think about the problems to be solved looking, uh, looking forward. It's, I wasn't sure what you were talking about at first when you, uh, <laughs> when you mentioned the year. Um, but all those things are, are extremely nice. Panther, uh, the success of Panther at the Academy Awards and seeing Ludwig and Ruth and Hannah up there was one of the highlights of my entire career. The success of Captain Marvel after all of the hemming and hawing and questioning, whether in the press or just over the years, about the feasibility of a female hero. And then that shattered. I think it's gone. I think as we start to do and announce at future dates other movies with female leads, that uh, people will not eventually stop calling it a female superhero movie and just call it a superhero movie. It's really hard for me to not ask you about those future dates when you say that, but I'm going to be good and yes, not ask. You. No problem. Instead, I'll pretend I have the time stone and go back for a second. Great. Tell me about the last day of filming of Endgame. What was the feeling like on set? I mean, it's the culmination of so much work and so much effort. It was a, it was a very long process. I think most people know we did Infinity War and Endgame, in some cases simultaneously, but primarily back to back with a three-week break in between. So it was a long haul. It was really the longest, certainly longest production period we'd ever had at Marvel. I think the longest anybody working on the film had ever had. So the end was very emotional for all sorts of reasons. Mm -hmm. And as if it weren't emotionally draining enough, bringing this 22 plus movie saga to a conclusion, there were multiple endings. There were, I'm not talking about the narrative of the film, I'm talking about the experience of the production because not everybody was there on the last day. So you would have each actor as they were wrapped out for the production, it would be a very cathartic, as Joe Russo said today in the press conference, a cathartic moment every time. So we went through these very like last day of school emotional moments a dozen plus times because all the actors wrapped at different days. And then as we always do at Marvel Studios, we, we did some additional photography along the way. It's exciting to see everybody again. You do a few days or a few weeks, whatever it is, and then you say goodbye again. <laughs> uh, so it was it, over and over and over again. Um, very emotional. Well, one of the things we talk a lot about with the actors on these press tours is um, what has been their, their Marvel moment. That moment on set when they just knew they were in a Marvel film because it's so unique. 
So my question for you as the Grand Master of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is how would you define what a Marvel moment is? The Grand Master was a psychopath <laughs> in Ragnarok, so I don't know. Oh, uh, first of all, that's a great question. I'd love to know what, I'm going to listen to this podcast to hear what other actors said to that, what they answered the Marvel moment. What was my Marvel moment? My, my life for nearly 20 years has all been one big Marvel moment with dozens happening uh, uh, every week. The ones that stand out to me, I mean, I do think seeing, seeing the Avengers in costume for the first time on set of the very first Avengers film. Mm-hmm having made two Iron Man films with Robert, one Thor with Hemsworth, one Captain America with Evans, seeing them in the same frame was very special. Every time Stan Lee came to set was a lifetime fulfillment, a Marvel moment. And really seeing characters in costume for the first time, we were shooting a scene in Endgame that I can't mention, of course, but with these two other characters uh, in an exterior, sort of a rooftop set, and at the same time in a tent down below, it was probably a two or three story uh, exterior set in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. At the same time, there was a white tent set up where we were doing the costume fitting for Brie Larson for Captain Marvel. So I'm on this rooftop with these two other characters. They go, oh, uh, um, she's ready. We went down, Anna and Ryan, our Captain Marvel directors, were visiting the set that day to see the costume. Walk into the tent, I think there are pictures of this somewhere. Walk into the tent and seeing Brie in the full Captain Marvel outfit for the first time, it was, you just, the hair stands, stands up on your neck. It is a endorphin rush, seeing it when you just see, and it works so perfectly <laughs> and amazingly. <laughs> those are, those are that, that, that one stands out uh, most recently that I can talk about. Is it a pretty amazing Marvel moment? So as we head towards this culmination, which you can't talk about, <clears throat> um, and obviously there will be many more MCU moments in the future, but you know, some people have compared Avengers Endgame to a series finale. So were there elements that you wanted to make sure you got in there? Not plot-wise, but um, when you think Mm. about things that you wanted to pluck from the comics or particular moments of humor, things like that. Absolutely. There were moments that we'd wanted to do for years that we got to do in Endgame. There were... What's fun about it is, as with all of our MCU movies, ideally, you could just sit down and watch that movie and understand it all. Somebody asked Scarlett, you know, how many of these movies do I have to watch to understand Endgame? And she said, and she's not wrong... Infinity War is probably the only one that would be required viewing, although we've, we have screened the movies. We do all of our movies during the process, and I'm shocked. People who rate the movie, I loved it. It was excellent. And then a question on the backside of the same sheet of paper. How many Marvel movies have you seen? Zero. I go, how's that? First of all, where do we find these people? Second of all, that's great that they could enjoy the movie. So we always want them to stand alone as much as they can. That being said, for people who have watched all the 21 films leading up to this, there are lots of things paid off. And that's because you had the same people making the movie. We obviously, Marvel Studios has made all these films. Our screenwriters, Chris and Steve, have written so many of the movies for us. Joe and Anth now, that was Endgame's their fourth film for us. And we're all fans, and, and that's the point of view that we, that we make the movie from. So there are lots of things that if one were to sit down and take a couple of weeks, watch every movie up to Endgame, that are direct references and direct payoffs to things set up going back to Iron Man 1. I know a couple of people who are doing that movie marathon right now. I love it. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) As you mentioned, there are lots of things. There's so much input coming at you. You know, you've got the fans and all their amazing theories about what might happen. You've got an amazing set of writers, an amazing set of directors. You have 
incredible source material. And then you've got this incredible group of actors. I mean, it's not like you've got three strong actors and the rest are kind of eh, so we'll just write the scenes for those three. How do you, as a creative person, hone in on that story when there's so much coming at you? Well, all of those things you just named are all beneficial and they all help along the way. What, mm -hmm. what, what you do need is a great idea to begin with. And that does come from pulling from the source material. Mm -hmm. It comes from deciding based on the MCU continuity, what we want to do and how we want to tell it. And if there's a, a core of an idea, that then all that other input that comes in just builds upon that idea. You know, very rarely do we deviate completely from the original idea that excited us about a movie. And at each point, and that's what's amazing, sort of an idea culminates within Marvel Studios and germinates amongst the, amongst the, uh, the core creative team at Marvel Studios first. Then we bring in a writer or a filmmaker, it gets bigger and better. Then you bring in actors, it gets bigger and better. Then you start screening the film in the testing process, it gets bigger and better. So at every point, it's, um, it's beneficial to get that additional input. And as we always say, best idea wins, no matter where it comes from. So as that process happened, I'm curious, is there anything that started out one way on the page that then came out very differently at the end that sort of surprised you? I'm sure there's lots of examples I can think of zero right now, but there are <laughs> there are moments. I mean, you know, you can look at the at, at uh, tonally what Favreau and Robert Downey Jr. were able to do in that first Iron Man was take things that were very serious. This is a man who was wounded, nearly killed, held hostage in a cave, and forced to fight his way out, and loses a loses a partner, a mentor in the process, in the incident, and and comes home and questions his entire life's work. That's a very serious storyline, yeah. the redemption of this man. At the same time, the brilliance of it and the brilliance of Favreau and Downey was adding that tone to it, adding a tone of fun to it so that the audience, you could get them, once they're laughing with you, they start crying with you. We've always said that. That's carried through all of the Marvel movies. The tonality is something that uh, is always surprising how to ride that line between the drama and the humor. And seeing how far you can push the humor, Ragnarok, for instance, and what Taika Waititi was able to do, pushing the humor much further than we'd done before, but at the same time in the genius of Taika Waititi, is keeping a lot of big serious things happen in Ragnarok as well, and keeping that. So sometimes that's surprising, getting dailies back on Ragnarok and seeing, for instance, the Grand Master doing his thing and seeing Chris Hemsworth come to life in a way that there were moments of in earlier films, but not in that entirety. I wouldn't say it's surprising, but it was, uh, it was um, exciting to see as, as, as those changes start to come in. Um, my last question is, if your eight-year-old self did get a hold of that time stone and could flash forward to now and see what you're doing now, what do you think his reaction would be? He'd be pretty excited. He'd be pretty excited. <laughs> no, it, it's, uh, it's a dream come true, and it really is, and it's a tremendous amount of, uh, a tremendous amount of work on all the movies, a, trem a tremendous amount of pressure to take a dream and make it reality in the real world with real people and with all of the, uh, you have to obey the laws of, of physics and gravity <laughs> when you make a movie. But it's incredible and culminating with Endgame. You know, I think of my favorite movies growing up. My eight-year-old self probably had just seen Empire Strikes Back and was getting ready for Return of the Jedi. Mm -hmm. My 10-year-old self walking out of Return of the Jedi and the, the notion of future Star Wars movies was sort of there, but not really. It felt like a big culmination. I have a very distinct memory of walking out of the theater. The exits were under the screen for some reason in this theater where I saw Return of the Jedi in Paramus, New Jersey. And I sort of touched 
the corner of the screen as the blue credits were going up, thinking like, I just had this transformative, amazing life experience thanks to this film when I'm 10 years old. I want to do that. I want to do something like that. And it remains to be seen if the audience responds the same way to Endgame. But for us, as we watch it, as we've finished it over the last few days, I would hope that my eight-year-old self would... Uh, would uh, have feel that same experience well, as he I walks know, out of the theater. I know a bunch of 10-year-olds <laughs> who are walking out touching those screens. So thank you for bringing that to the fans and to uh, creating the MCU for us. By the way, you shouldn't really touch the screen. It smudges it and it makes a big mess. So this was 1983. <laughs> it was different. I didn't know what I was doing. Important <laughs> tips from Kevin yes. Feige. Listen to him. All right, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks. It has been a long journey to get here, but it all starts with the writing. Mm -hmm. We like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> There's been a lot of talk um, about the writer's room and the origin of these films. Yeah. So I wanted to know if you guys could give me a glimpse into that. Sure. sure. I've heard Kevin talk about it. I've heard the Russos talk about it. It is, you know, a large cell-like conference room. I mean, there have been several. <laughs> Uh, it really is just a blank canvas. It's a table and some either whiteboard or bulletin boards, and it's up to us and the various people who drop in to fill that. And it can feel like a playground, and it can feel like a prison. You know. Mostly when people would visit, would the, the thing they would say the most is, oh, it's a beautiful mind in here. Like, yeah. this or, is, this or, is. Or seven. Is that because all the scribble on the yeah, wall? Because yeah, because movie one was on one wall, and then movie two was on the adjacent wall, and then on the third wall was uh, a magnetic board with 50, 60 uh, little baseball cards of uh, Marvel heroes on it. And so we would move those around and try to find interesting pairings and groupings. And how could we tell, say, an Infinity War four or five stories that w wove together? And we did something similar and at the same time with Endgame. <laughs> yeah. So wait, I have two questions. Yeah. One, where is that collection of Marvel baseball cards? Hmm. Because I think a lot of people would I like to. I think I have them. Excellent. Mm -hmm. And my other question is, you know, as you're putting this together, like you mentioned, there are so many different sources to go to. I mean, you've yeah. got all the source material from the comics. You've got the previous movies. Mm -hmm. You have all the fans out there tossing things out yeah. there. And on top of that, you have an incredible group of actors. It's not like you've got three actors who are stellar and five who are <laughs> yeah. like, we're not going to write for those. So how do you sort your way through that to hone in on a story? It is, I mean, we do read all the relevant comics and take as necessary. You know, the movies have built their own world by this point yeah. so that it isn't as beholden to the comics as it might have been early on. But are you beholden to each of the movies that has come before? What that, what's oh, that sure. like? We, yeah. we don't get to throw out uh, a right. particular movie. And then the actors, dude, they bring an enormous amount, both on set but also thinking of them beforehand. It's a much more 3D way of writing when, you, when the whole thing is cast before you even start. Right, so speaking yeah. about that, I'm curious. You've gotten to know these actors yeah. more and more over time, which perhaps changes the way you write from them. Are there a couple specific examples you can give of things that you've leaned into with each of them as you've grown mm. more aware of their capabilities? <laughs> mm. um, There's some actors we don't give exposition to <laughs> because <laughs> they just don't like it. They can feel it, they see it, and they go, this is not, this is for the movie, it's not for the character. Mm. And that's fair enough, but sometimes the movie needs some exposition. And, I mean, obviously there's certain actors who are really funny, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. so you can go, I, 
I've got Paul Rudd in here. I know I can, you know. Paul Rudd's not funny. What are you Paul talking Rudd, about? You know, he's not attractive. He's not particularly nice. He's not charming. Um, he's 50. You believe this? Well, I know from experience that both Chris Evans and Scarlett understand their characters. Well, I, they all understand their characters very well, but they have both taken lines out. Interesting. And, you know. And how does that make you guys feel? Oh, no, it's fun. It's, Meaning that uh, uh, instead of four sentences, three sentences will do. I think this will come across simply because of these two lines in my look or what have or you. So they're not I greedy would, is what he's saying. Yeah, I wouldn't say that. And it helps us get into their head and, and think about the characters in a different way. Because they're both very restrained characters. And when they do let something out, it carries extra weight. Like Tony talks nonstop. <laughs> so you have to... You have to Kind of listen in the in the static for the silence is what's yeah. important. <laughs> when they talk, it's very specifically chosen moments. That is such a fun balancing act as a creative person to yeah. find your way through. It's fun. So speaking of fun or maybe not fun, what was it like that last day on set? You know, what was it like when the cut of the film is locked? <sighs> there's a bit. I mean, there's a lot of last days because we shot and reshot and then a little extra reshot and all this. We assumed this was our last Marvel job, mm -hmm. and so for us, it was it was certainly bittersweet. I mean, everything is possible at that moment. Like it, it's still in, in editing, so we don't know how good the finished film is. I can sit here now, and it's pretty awesome. Uh, so, <laughs> wait. But, so, have you seen the whole thing? Are you? Uh, we've uh, seen it a number of times, but not the finished. We only got locked, locked, locked. A, a visual effects ago. like two days ago, yeah. but it was essentially done for narrative purposes for a, a while. You know, but it was also literally a year shoot mm -hmm. that we moved to Atlanta for a year, about a year and a half. You kind of can't believe that it's ending in that you like, really? Like, we, mm -hmm. there's nothing more to make? Like, it's <laughs> not that you don't want to go. It's that it's just you can't believe it was ever going to end at a certain point. So it was all kind of hallucinatory by the end. Every, <laughs> the crew, the cast, was just like, I, hmm. I guess we go home now. <laughs> yeah. And also the fact is you don't shoot in, in order. So you're ne you know, the last scene is never some climactic thing. It's usually like, uh, you know the one where Steve walks down the hall? That's our last shot. <laughs> so yeah, all right, great, fine. Well, it's been an incredibly intense experience. I am curious for each of you, um, has there been that sort of perfect Marvel moment? You know, being on a Marvel set is like mm. no other. I mean, for a lot of the actors I've talked to, it's about the first time they see themselves in costume. Mm -hmm. what, what's been a Marvel moment I mean, for? First time we met Stan Lee was pretty amazing. And it was, uh, it was when he was the FedEx guy on, on Civil War, Tony Stank. Um, <laughs> I love that. that. So that was pretty fantastic. But I'll, I can go back to the first one. When we went into the Rebirth Lab for the first time mm -hmm. in, in England and got to go on that set, and it's this big console. And if you lean in close to the dials on the console, it says Stark Industries in tiny little script. And it's like, holy cow, this is as detailed as it could possibly get. This is, this is real. And it says Stark on there. And this is his father, and he's Iron Man, and like then it gets crazy. That's amazing. Yeah. I wish I had one of those dials. Yeah. Mm. You probably know somebody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, my, mine are more about people. 
right? Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I was gonna, that is a moment, I remember that set very well. I had a nice moment uh, when my dad finally got to come to set. So it was for Endgame and it was a pretty cool secret moment and, uh, and he couldn't have been prouder. And so that was, that sticks with me particularly, yeah. So last question then, if you could each flash back to your eight-year-old selves and got a hold of the time stone uh -huh. and flash forward and see you now and what you're doing, what would your inner eight-year-old say? What the hell happened to your hair, man? <laughs> it was so glorious. <laughs> what have you done to it? <laughs> wow, is that, is that normal? You've been sitting stressed out in a writer's room trying yeah. to figure it out. I think he would be relatively amazed that I get to do this, you know? That's not a grown-up job. <laughs> well, there are a lot of us non-grown-up fans who are very excited for the movie. Thank you so much for talking oh, with us. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Tamara, those interviews were wonderful. You are amazing. Uh, by this point, everyone will have watched the red carpet premiere, will have heard all these interviews, and maybe have even seen the film. So thanks so much for doing all this. Thanks for having me on here. It's always great to talk to you. Uh, where can fans find you? Fans can find me on Instagram and on Twitter, at Tamara Krinsky. Keep it easy. Keep it simple. <laughs> uh, and, and, of course, your show, one more time. Sure. It's Tomorrow's World Today on the Science Channel. You can watch Season 1 on Amazon right now. Season 2 premieres on Saturday mornings in May. Fantastic. Thanks, Tamara. Thanks, Ryan. Bye. Bye. All right, we have to go to our community section. Before we do that, we've got to have our question of the week. This one, Lorraine, you got this one. Yeah, we are wanting to know, who did you go see Marvel Studios' Avengers Endgame with and why? Tell us, tweet us, and hashtag This Week in Marvel or TWIM. Yeah, you could also email twimpodcast at marvel.com or send a Facebook message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash thisweekinmarvel. All right. Community stuff. I'm going to read uh, an email here. First one, uh, this email comes in from Amanda Francis, who, longtime listener, uh, she's awesome. She also has a tweet or two later. But uh, this one is in response to our Twim URC. So the Twim URC is the reading club. Um, and so she says to me and CB Sabolsky, so you can play the part of CB. Ooh, me. Uh, Amanda says, I have been diving into the 70s and 80s West Coast Avengers because I'm a Mockingbird stan. LOL. Stan means like you, you like stand hard for them? Yep. Great. Uh, and she's, Amanda says, and I loved how you all pointed out how the women of the Avengers at the time were kind of like ever devoted to their male counterparts. Even in Avengers West Coast at one point, Janet Van Dyne says, quote, where else can a gal be around so many groovy males? And Tigra says that she is, quote, definitely not a feminist. What is going on in those comics? Come on. Anyway. It was a weird time in history. Yeah. Back to Amanda's note, she says. But then here comes Bobby. She cuts her hair because it was in the way of her fighting ability, which Hawkeye did not like. Deal with it, Hawkeye. Uh, and then she stands her ground against the men, divorces Hawkeye because he is a jerk. Yes. That's and, true. Yeah. And even advocates her firebird to join the West Coast team when she's being completely overlooked by Hawkeye. I know a lot of times Mockingbird is just talked about through her relationship with Hawkeye, but these issues create an actually dynamic female character that I think needs recognition. Um, she continues saying, I just have a, a lot of feelings and my friends are sick of my Hawkeye rants, okay? LOL. We're here for it. Oh, I'm super here for it. I mean, the whole uh, like Phantom Rider situation oh, oh, is 
a, it's a really rough storyline, yeah. and Hawkeye does not deal with it well. Uh, but I actually think it's like a very it makes for a very compelling conversation about uh, abuse. Yeah, it's it's actually very interesting, and I love I love 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 Mockingbird. It's too bad though too because I also really love when they get married and they have a bath in a big heart shaped tub. <laughs> <laughs> so too bad it didn't work out. Yeah, uh, one thing for all the listeners, Lorraine was remarking before we started recording about how great the community is on this show. That's a fact. And it is. You guys are awesome. Yeah. I greatly enjoy just hearing what you guys think of the show and hearing from you guys. It's really cool. That's right. Speaking of great people, what does Jiggy have to say? Well, Jiggy was getting Jiggy with it. I'm sure he's never heard that. I'm so sorry. Jiggy Uh, (laughs) Cruz. Deal with it. I love it. Okay. He says... I have to say, New Avengers 27 to 31, The Revolution, was just epic. The Underground Avengers was an amazing concept, plus fighting the Hand Ninjas? Bonkers! Linnell Yu absolutely hit a Grand Slam with the art and Bendis seated Secret Invasion. I don't know why you were reading this, but I am here for it. I love this run of Avengers. Uh, That issue, I think it's... I think it's 27. Whatever the Luke Cage issue is, one of my favorite all-time Luke Cage stories, period. Yeah. So good. So good. Man. So well, good. well done, Jiggy. Yeah. Uh, Simon Williams says, I'm sad to see West Coast Avengers is ending. Kelly Thompson got me to like Gwenpool with this book. Quentin Quire is still the worst, though. I, yes. He is, he but is at the, the same worst, time. He is the worst, but that's why you love him, because yeah. he is the worst. Yeah. And they're, they're like... super cute together. Aww. The last uh, issue has this adorable sequence with them and uh, Jeff the Landshark. <laughs> oh, I love Jeff the Landshark. It's so good. Yeah. All right, and Chris Berseth says, just finished reading Spider-Man Life Story number two, and man, talk about a heartbreaking ending, plus that Bagley art brings me back to my youth. Oh, This book. Oof, this book is really good, but man. Oof. The feels. Yeah. Uh, This is one's an interesting one. Uh, RP67, Buffy Paisan 67 says, all the heroes are gone. Pick six supervillains from Earth to come up to save it. That's tough. Well, so Ma- that is. I feel th- like Magneto's like always kind of showing mm. up. You kind of. I feel like you need somebody who's like on the cusp of wanting to be good. Otherwise, you're in trouble. So this immediately makes me think of Thunderbolts, right? Because yeah. Thunderbolts did this. They showed mm-hmm. up uh, after Heroes Reborn, when after Onslaught, all the, mo- the Avengers and so many other heroes are gone, and so Zemo, jerk face that he is puts together this plot to come up and be heroes. And I thought it was such a smart thing. So my mind is like, do you have the villains be the villains or do they take on new personas to pretend to be heroes? Like, yeah, because now we're getting, not to get in the weeds, but then like, can you just take any hero and be like, Thanos is great, now he's got an infinity gauntlet, he fixes it. (laughs) That would be easy. Sure. But Mm. I... For me, I just want to pick people who are like on the border of being good. I'm like, I want Craven a la Squirrel Girl. Sure. I want Magneto just fighting Nazis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Who who else? Who else? Doc Ock, Superior Spider-Man. Sure. Yeah. He tries to I be like good. That. Yeah. Uh, who else is trying to be good out there? Um, we'll we'll go for uh, Obadiah Stane. <laughs> <laughs> good old Obi. Uh, yeah. Um, let's see. You got an X-Men villain uh we need a fantastic four 
uh, villains. How about Galactus? He has a snack <laughs> and he stops being a jerk. I like that. He's like, hey guys, <laughs> let's go fight bad people. Yeah, you get it. Yeah, that's my Galactus impression. <laughs> if anybody wants to hire me to do some Galactus voice work. Yeah, I was going to say, are you available? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm around. Well, I will say Dr. Doom, because he does kind of want to be a good guy. He's just Look, bad. Doom Latveria is a hero well. in Latveria. Yeah. He is, he's just, you know, doesn't give a crap about the rest of you. But if you're a villain coming to Latveria and starting something, you're going to get trounced. And and then let's round it out with uh, Thundra, because yeah. I just love her. I'm like, just be a strong lady. Yeah. Try to fight She-Hulk all the time, because she's also strong into it. <laughs> It's my life to a T. <laughs> uh, we got one in here from Superstan who says, just wrapped up this week in Marvel, and now I got to hear Lorraine describe all the Bananas Bronze Age comic book stories. Uh, you talked about something last oh, week. Oh, the Celestial Madonna story, yes, which yes. is so bananas. Yeah. At some, we'll just have to have a section. Lorraine describes something. Honestly, a lot of, a lot of that stuff, just go back and read all of Doctor Strange in the 70s if you want stuff that's just bananas. It's, like, super enjoyable and beautiful because it's got all that, like, really saturated artwork. But it's also every story is just, like, and then the mind folds in on itself. And you're, like, what? <laughs> it's yeah. great. Yeah. They're so great. Oh, and then Edward. Edward third, which is a nice rhyming name, says, War of the Realms 2 is my co-pick of the week as the arc really kicks it up a notch. The artwork by Dodderman is stunningly gorgeous. It's been a while since a event book pulled me in, but this one is doing a great job. All it took was the death of all of the realms. Hmm. I have number three on my desk right now. Oh. Everybody's fighting and sad and dying. <gasps> dun dun wow. Yeah. And then he followed up with one more. Oh, and he follows up with Spider-Man Life Story 2 is the other co-pick of the week. Love how everyone is actually aging through the decades. The debates waged here about scientific process and hero involvement were well done. What Zadarsky is doing here is telling a brilliant story. Yeah. Our little chip. Chippy chip chip. Our, our sweet chip. Did you see what he did to his Wikipedia page? At least for a oh, little while. Oh, no. What did he do? No, somebody, somebody had, or he had taken a picture in like, like cowboy gear. Oh, I did see this. He has like a, a, a brand new portrait where he's, yeah, he looks like he's in an old timey photo booth. And so he asked somebody to update his Wikipedia page and they did. And they gave him a birth date in <laughs> uh, like the 1890s, <laughs> which is primo. Um, do you remember when Chip Zdarsky fell in love with Applebee's? Oh, yeah. Gosh, Very I was just thinking that. about that the other day. Just Google it, yeah. honestly, because it's <laughs> so delightful. Uh, a couple of last ones came in that I'm looking at on the Twitter machine. Um, let's see. Chris Vaughn says, been a while, but was thinking we need a new Pet Avengers book and Aww. add Bats and Thory. Oh, Bats and Thory. Ms. Lyon wants to hang out with them for sure. Yeah. We could do a whole Dog Avengers at this point. Like the rest of the pets. This would be like the West Coast Avengers spinoff to the Pet Avengers. I strangely have a list of just um, <laughs> Marvel dogs on my desktop right now. So sure. if anybody wants to talk to me about that, I'm available. Great. Uh, Chris continues saying, uh, you guys need a war horn sound to play when reading the War of the Realms books. How about fui, fui, fui? <laughs> Is that good? <laughs> That's my personal yeah. war horn. Yeah. Uh, Chris uh, Barzeth comes back in with a couple more tweets. 
saying, listen to the newest this week in Marvel. Glad you guys mentioned the Phalanx Covenant and Generation X. That's what I'm talking about. I love those books. Have you ever read that? some of those bonkers uh, Phalanx Covenant crossovers that led into Generation X? It's something else. I don't... It's, it's, the, it's oh, the super Phalanx 90s. ones. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Uh, but I highly suggest anybody read Generation X, the beginning of that run. Anything that uh, Chris Bachalo was doing there... Destroys everyone. Also, does anybody ever have this thing where, so like you said, the phalanx, and I was thinking of a different spelling, and I was like, who's that? Oh, yeah, that. Because in my head, it's like, phalanx. (laughs) (laughs) Words. Don't judge me. (laughs) Uh, Chris says, I finally decided to check out Executioner's Song, and I'm really enjoying it so far. So, thanks, Shanks, for obsessing about it on This Week in Marvel. You're welcome. It is Literally, the greatest comic book story of all time. The Guinness Book of World Records credits it as the greatest comic book story of all time. How how did they quantify don't that? Don't worry about it. It's just you don't have to check Wait, on it. Don't either. Google that. Yeah, no, no, don't. You're fine. Okay, You're that good. seems like a lie, Ryan. Yeah, yeah, no, no, don't worry about it. All right, that always makes me feel better. Yeah, I promised you another mention uh, by our pal Amanda. Uh, Francis tweets. This week's This Week in Marvel question of the week, which was, what is your favorite Avengers storyline, made me realize I haven't read a ton of those. Uh, she says, I really prefer the books that dive into specific characters, so I think my favorite might be A-Force. She asked, does that count? I said, yeah, that counts. Heck yeah, it does. Yeah, 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 yeah. Remember when there was like flying sharks? That's fun. It's real neat. Uh Karis Pollard says her This Week in Marvel of the Week is Thanos number one, which I gave her the suggestion for it to read. Uh, she says, love the insight into the deranged and weird history of the distinctly mad Titan. Fun seeing younger Black Order members as well. Ebony Maw was so well drawn. Yeah, it's a great issue. It's really good. Teeny Howard, y'all ain't ready. She's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and take over everything. I know. It's really interesting being here now for so many years and to see the progression of our creators, um, some who are coming on as newer creators and like how crazy and large their careers comes become so quickly. It's so impressive. It's awesome. All right, last one for us to talk about is uh, from Tim Massing. He says, I know I'm a little late to the game, no pun intended, but here is my This Week in Marvel of the Week, and he shows that he has platinumed Marvel's Spider-Man for PlayStation 4. It's great. Although I will say, Tim, I see that you haven't finished New Game Plus, so I feel like... Wow, Ryan. You've got some work to do. Oh, my goodness. And a homework is diamond. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, that's it. We're wrapping up uh, Big Avengers episode. Yeah. Pretty great. More Avengers coming on the way. Yeah. Hope hope you all didn't get spoiled. Yeah, don't spoil the end game if you have seen the film, and be sure to go watch it. It's open today. Now. Now, right now. Yeah. Get your butt to a theater. We did it. Yay. On that note, I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. This is Marvel. Your universe. Thank you.